0: Here we go. This episode of iFreaks is brought to you in part by Postcards. Postcards is the simplest way to allow user feedback from right inside your application. With just a simple gesture, anyone testing your app can send you a postcard containing a screenshot of the app and some notes. It's a great way to handle bug reports and feature requests from your clients. It takes five minutes to set up, and the first five postcards each month are free. Get started today by visiting www.postcard.es. This episode is brought
1: to you by Code School. Code School offers interactive online courses in Ruby, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and iOS. Their courses are fun and interesting, and include exercises for the student to level up your development skills. Go to iFreakShow.com/slash/CodeSchool. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 69 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel we have Andrew Madsen. Hello from Salt Lake City. Alondo Brewington. Hello from North Carolina. Pete Hodgson. Hello from the city by the bay. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv and this week we have a special guest, Laura Savino. Yep, hi. Do you want to introduce Uh, yourself real quick?
2: Sure. I'm Laura Savino. I'm an iOS developer with Khan Academy, and we're based in uh, Mountain View in the Bay Area in California.
1: Khan Academy? That's like popular stuff.
2: (laughs) It's pretty exciting, the things that we're able to do with the education platform in technology.
0: Maybe some people don't know exactly what Khan Academy does. Can you give us like a a, a one-minute elevator pitch? That would be, I guess, not an elevator pitch, but... Describe uh, roughly what Khan Academy actually does.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good point. And I know uh, a lot of people have heard of of the company, but maybe aren't familiar with what it does currently. Uh, It started with a few years ago with a series of uh, YouTube videos teaching math. And those videos started getting more and more popular as people who maybe didn't have access to great math instruction on their own. Found these online and said, "Wow, math makes sense to me now in a way that it really didn't before." And the platform started growing as we got more and more users. And we uh, Sal made tons of videos. And then over the years, we found out that you know, if people really want to learn how to do a thing, you need to actually practice it and not just receive information passively via video. So we have uh, a lot of math. Uh, exercises that you can do to, to really practice those skills that you've learned and have also expanded out with a lot of different partners with things like we've got Beth and Stephen working in New York City with art history videos. And so you can learn all kinds of things about different paintings and and art. There's the crash course history videos. I think just today released content about dinosaurs. Um, We're partnered with NASA. And there's there's just a ton of content that we provide people who are learning either as independent learners or working on things in a classroom. Uh, And I think that's an aspect that maybe a lot of people might not be as familiar with are the classroom tools, where if learners on this have a coach within Khan Academy... That coach can actually see what the students have been working on uh, in terms of how long they've spent on each problem, which problems they've struggled with, maybe what wrong answers they put in. And that student can be highlighted for the teacher in a report about their class. and And the teacher can really zero in and say, oh, I see this student is struggling with this particular skill. And then they can go in and help explain to the student more, give them some more personalized attention.
3: So, Laura, is this is this uh, application geared towards students who are in sort of K through twelve, or is it is the target audience larger than that?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So, a lot of our content that we're making the most interactive right now is is K through twelve. I would even say the the strongest content even starts around middle school, but. We definitely work with community colleges. I hear people who've used it to study for the MCAT. There's uh, material to help people with the NCLEX, which is the nursing exam. So there's definitely content for adults as well. But right now, the bits that are most personalized are in math, kind of middle school and high school.
1: So is this content free or paid
2: Ah, that's actually I really should have mentioned that. So we're we're a nonprofit and the, the content is free and will always be free. And so a really important part of our mission is to educate students. Students meaning anyone who wants to learn a thing, anyone anywhere.
0: That's interesting. I didn't realize it was a it was a nonprofit. How is it is it different working at a non profit versus a, a regular company or a profitable company or a profitable company?
2: <laughs> You know, my, my only other experience as a software engineer was working at a consulting company, uh, which is, is pretty radically different because you need to track your time. And here it's more just in terms of like, what do, what do we produce for the students? I think one aspect where being a a nonprofit with a mission, I've been pleased to see the difference is that we have a lot of, uh, analytics in the site and a really strong data science team. They're brilliant. And, the thing that we're focused on is not minutes spent on the site or number of clicks or things like that. But when we do an A-B test, what we want to know is, did this thing that we changed make a more effective outcome for the student in terms of things that they were able to do in terms of their learning? So the, the bottom line for us is always trying to get students to learn more effectively rather than maybe other metrics that companies that are dependent on making a profit would look at.
0: Interesting. Are you guys doing a lot of A-B testing in the iOS app as well, or is that mainly on the website?
2: That's completely on the website. Yeah, are there, are there A-B testing frameworks that you've used and liked for iOS apps?
0: <laughs> There's not one that I've used and liked. I've been doing some research on that recently for a client, but I don't feel qualified enough to share an opinion at the moment. I know it's kind of, it surprises me that it's not more common for people to do that with iOS. I think maybe people are scared about Apple rejecting them from the app store.
2: Mm. I'm definitely afraid of the idea of things going on in the app that I can't control. I, <laughs> if there are multiple A-B tests going on at the same time, that's a whole other layer of stake that I haven't tested before getting the app out the door.
1: Right. I don't know how useful having multiple A-B tests running is anyway.
2: Oh, so. yeah?
0: Well, I think so. Since you have, Lori, you've got some data science actual data scientist-type folks uh, mm-hmm. at the Khan Academy, you should chat with them about that because it's mm-hmm. actually, there are ways that you can split your cohorts so that you can run multiple experiments at once, but you have to be a lot more thoughtful about it, I think. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I know that there's fantastic tools for doing that on the web,
0: but... Yeah, I think it's a little bit less mature on the, the native side. Mm-hmm. So with the videos, can you watch the videos in the app?
2: Yep. Actually, right now the app is basically just a, a client for consuming content. Uh, you can watch videos and read articles and download videos. That's been kind of the state of the art in the app for the past three years, I think, since it, was, since it was made. We've been working really hard to bring exercises into the app this summer so that students can, right within the app, they can watch videos about triangles and then actually practice skills that they've learned there. It's been a ton of work because the, the exercises as they were written originally were meant to be consumed within the web app. And to make those APIs work and make, make all the exercises happy in a touch environment and outside of their web app home has been, I think, more work than, than we really anticipated.
0: The web ones, are they kind of rich JavaScript-y things or are they doing stuff with some other technology?
2: Well, we actually have, I, I say we as someone who's not on this team, um, but we've been using React on the website, which oh, cool. I, yeah, people are really excited about. And I haven't played with because I've been focused on the iOS side.
0: Have you guys looked at kind of trying to embed React stuff inside of a, an iOS app?
2: Well, right now we are basically just consuming the output of Let's see. I haven't been working on embedding the exercises myself, and I don't want to get this wrong. Um, <laughs> but I know that we basically have dozens of different kinds of exercises that do different things. There, you should really check them out because some of them are wonderful. Things like uh, like a derivatives intuition, where you actually draw you make little dots around, and they'll change the slope of a line to be tangent to a curve, and then you can actually see the dots making a line themselves, and things like like telling. T- and measuring angles and uh, reflections and transformations and all kinds of things like that. And these are all different little JavaScript-based widgets. And basically, we're taking those and dropping them into the app in WebViews. So one
1: thing that I'm wondering about is, you know, you talked a little bit about embedding exercises. Do you do that in the middle of the videos? Or is it just another part of the app that you access, you know, in addition to the videos?
2: Yeah, Right now they are separate from videos. If our content is set up in basically tutorials, so there'll be a video and then maybe an article and an exercise and a couple more videos and then another exercise, and you kind of progress through them in sequence. I know something that we're playing with is this idea of having questions and ways to practice in the middle of a video. Our videos are pretty short. Most of them are under 10 minutes, so it's like students are, are watching an hour and then go practice. Uh, so it's it's broken up, I think pretty naturally by skills already, but we're definitely trying to look for ways to engage people more.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Now are you just using HTTP live streaming or HLS to get the videos into the app?
2: I didn't write that part. I know I think it's I think we're using HTTP live streaming, but I, I can't really speak to that. I'm
0: sorry. I would guess that, well, I would be surprised if, if you weren't, just because it's, yeah, hard to get other stuff. But well, it doesn't mean, I mean, it's unusual to not, not use HTTP live streaming. Mm-hmm.
1: So were there any parts of the app that were tricky or hard to build
3: out?
2: Well, I, <laughs> actually, I kind of brought a difficult part on myself a few months ago. So I, the app was, was written by a contractor a few years ago, and and then didn't get a lot of love till I joined the company maybe a year and a half ago, and After a couple months, the app only showed videos, and after a couple months, I really wanted to make the app able to show articles as well. But going from this homogenous content type to showing both videos and articles together was going to mean changing our model layer, and the existing architecture of the model layer was something that I had a little trouble wrapping my head around, and I decided that to make things easier for myself, since our content was in a hierarchy and there are these objects that had relationships to each other and we wanted to persist this, that I would rewrite our model layer to use Core Data. And I didn't really know what I was getting into (laughs) with this. I'm still a pretty new iOS developer. And that was a couple months basically rewriting the app, which I didn't expect to happen (laughs) because our app is really just a a viewer of data. I know all, all apps are kind of views into data. But really, all the app does is present content statically. So for me, rewriting the model layer meant rewriting the entire app. And I was pretty much the only iOS developer at Khan Academy at the time. And that was a pretty ambitious undertaking. Luckily, I had a lot of support from the community around around this time. I Worked with, I guess, the former Rubber City Wizards. I reached out to Josh Smith and Jonathan Penn, who are amazing people. I called them my mentors for hire. They would work with me for, you know, an hour or two every couple of weeks to make sure that I didn't completely explode everything while I was <laughs> mucking around with, with Core Data in the app. But then the triumphant conclusion to this story is that I managed to rewire all the parts, shipped the update to the store, and absolutely nobody noticed.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. Which
2: <laughs> was exactly what I wanted.
0: Was triumphant was, victory. No one knows you did anything. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we were able to to add articles, and it wasn't really a big deal at that point. And you know that also laid the groundwork for us now adding exercises, because the model layer can now handle all all kinds of different content.
0: Huh. That's kind of funny. I, I think. It's always kind of slightly frustrating, but slightly, I get this kind of double feeling of like super pride that I've managed to do something without anyone noticing, but also mm-hmm. kind of sadness, like, no one knows. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: I mean, the their lives large, yeah. <laughs> yeah, How the release that? notes
2: for that one were... Um...
0: <laughs> what did the release notes say?
2: I think i was I was really peppy and tried to say you know lots of things happened under the covers, and you might not notice, but this is going to make things easier for me. You're you know tirelessly working developer
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah at Khan Academy, do you have pretty free reign to kind of decide what you're going to work on i I guess you kind of touched on that a little bit with the not having to log your hours, but do you did you just kind of decide this was what you wanted to do, or did you have to kind of go and get buy in from someone somewhere that, you know, like, oh, this is going to be worth it for the future of our platform.
2: Yeah, that's actually been a really wonderful thing for me working here is that the DRIs on a project, the the directly responsible individuals have a lot of leeway in terms of deciding what features should be and have a, a ton of independence and trust. So for me, this was, you know, going from being a junior developer at an agency to being the person deciding what to do, and it was really exciting for me. Uh, I still remember the first time, after I think about a, a month or two of, of working here, and iOS seven betas had just come out, and I mentioned to the engineering lead that I would like to drop iOS five, and he he said like, yeah, I, I think that makes sense, and I kind of went, yes, great, and he said, no, 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 I just want to make sure you understand. I was just giving you information of my opinion. Like, yeah, I think that makes sense to me. That wasn't permission. And if I would have said like, no, that I don't think that makes sense to me. It was still up to me as the directly responsible individual to make that call. And that's, that's been pretty amazing.
0: I've not heard of that that term before directly responsible individual is that something that's unique to khan academy or did uh,
2: they- i know it's also an apple thing i don't know the
0: origin of it though interesting is yeah. that like each small feature or each product like what's the what's the scale of a of your responsibility as a as a dri
2: at our company like for example the there's many dris for each each feature like there might be Someone is currently DRI for a project on changing our, our testing framework or fixing the search in the app or for, for this system I mentioned earlier where, where coaches can watch what their students are doing. So, so each of those components will, will have a DRI.
1: So do you work in kind of a team environment? Because it sounds like you, know, you mentioned I don't work on that part of the app or I, you know, I didn't build that piece
2: or whatever. Sure. Well, I'm, I just, I know that I have a terrible memory and I want to make sure that I don't misrepresent what other people are doing. Yeah, there's a pretty strong sense of cross team collaboration. There are maybe, I want to say 30 engineers, 35, and projects tend to be pretty small, maybe two to six people on a project. But we, have a a really open organization and that like each team will have a a hip chat room, but that hip chat room is open to anyone in the company who wants to join. And often there are people who kind of lurk and just see what's what's going on in the data science world or what's going on in the mobile world.
0: And do you have, as well as iOS, do you have like an iOS team and an Android team or do you have a a mobile team?
2: (laughs) So uh, for a really long time, I was called the mobile team, um, (laughs) even though I was only working on iOS. It's something that's been really exciting recently is that we have been expanding the iOS team a lot. Uh, We have hired Mike Parker, who hasn't done iOS in a long time, but is brilliant and humble um, and obsessed with naming. And so it's it's fantastic working (laughs) with him. We've had a couple engineering interns, which is also amazing. They've gotten so much done this summer. It's wonderful. And we have also been, I don't know, it's been maybe a month and a half, that Andy Matushik has started working as the lead of mobile at Khan Academy. And it's been just amazing working with him and having all these people working together and, and really making uh, putting a focus on the iOS app, whereas before it was maybe got a little bit less love. It's really exciting. There is not an Android app now. One thing that has, as I mentioned before, it's been a lot of work getting exercises to be happy, getting these interactive exercises to be happy in a mobile environment at all. And so we're trying to kind of have all these headaches now in iOS land before starting on an Android app. Then hopefully once we've solved the API issues and things with you know, versioning the exercise frameworks, then it'll be... Much more straightforward when we do start on an Android app.
1: When you build out the Android app, or is it going to be the same mobile team that does it? Or
2: you know, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I know that we do have a, a couple people who are really excited about the idea of building Android apps from you know even from other areas of of the company. It would probably be faster to work with somebody to to hire someone and, and work with somebody who had Android experience directly, but. Um, One thing that Khan Academy is really supportive of and engineers that I like a lot is the idea that if you've learned one technology pretty well, you can probably learn another technology also. And if you're interested in doing that and you really want to contribute there, that's something that the company really supports. So I don't know. I could end up writing uh, writing Android apps. We'll see. <laughs>
0: Have you guys looked at any of the kind of, or have you considered some of the kind of cross-platform things that are out there to try and share stuff across these different platforms once you start building out the Android part?
2: Sure. Well, right now, the exercise content, the the interactive practice content is web-based. And so that will share pretty nicely. But one thing that I know... Andy's especially excited about, and and the rest of us are too, is making a native client that that feels really good, like a first-class citizen kind of client. And I haven't seen cross-platform solutions that are really wonderful in that way. Um, And then you always end up making the UI trade-offs where it maybe feels more apply or it feels more Android-like. I know we handed the iOS app to a couple of people who were really devout, maybe... That's the wrong word, but um, really strong Android users. And they kept trying to tap the titles of things to go back to the previous section.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: Yeah. So things like that. I, I mean, I think we have plenty of UI challenges already without trying to make one solution for native apps on both clients.
3: Have you run into any performance issues with regard to sort of pulling this information down? Or is there- just by the nature of people typically being interested in, in one section. Has that mitigated that at all?
2: I'm not sure I understand what you mean. Can you say that in a different way?
3: Well, I mean, there's lots of classes and lots of, I'm looking at the content and if there's uh-huh. a lot of content, just wondering if that's a problem as far as getting that down, Are people experiencing lags or any, any mm-hmm. sort of performance issues or, or playing videos or anything like that.
2: Sure. The way that the app is currently written, and this is my fault, um, <laughs> when we we have, as I mentioned, this, this hierarchical system of content where there's topics that have subtopics and subtopics until you get down to content. And right now, when one of our content creators will edit an exercise or a new or Sal will upload a new video, what we call the topic tree has changed. And right now the app actually downloads the entire topic tree when something changes. But as I mentioned, my amazing coworker, Mike, has recently written something so that you can just get a diff and, and bring that down. So that will super reduce the uh, amount of data that people are consuming. But yeah, right now, if you use the app, you'll notice there's a little bit of time where it kind of stops working super well for, like, it, the, the UI becomes a little unresponsive while it's parsing
0: talking about
3: some- all
2: this information.
3: <laughs> Sorry, I was actually going through some of the navigation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I did the King's Cupcakes class, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really neat, a fun way to introduce uh, the concept. Of
2: <laughs> nice.
0: Wait, what was the class?
3: Cupcakes? Yeah, King's Cupcakes. It's a way to solve the problem you're presented with this challenge of the king having a party in your honor for saving one of his children, and you have to determine how many cup- cupcakes you need to have based on the number of adults and children that are going huh. to... But that it's
0: really a whole
2: new to- element to word problems. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Anything involving cupcakes sounds like fun to me. No kidding. Well, I was hooked. I was hooked as soon as I saw the title. I was like, I'm in.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So do you ever have features that are driven by a particular course or content as opposed to some capability that you want in general for Khan Academy?
2: That's a great question. And it's something that we've been talking about internally because some of our content like art history might be better served by being presented in a different context than our current kind of browsing library experience. Like there's like, maybe we really want to build something out so you can zoom in on these gorgeous images, but putting all of those different styles of presenting content into one app could get super awkward. Like it would feel like it was made by a lot of different people uh, and having All these different sorts of personalities coming out in different sections of the app, I I think would feel pretty strange. But at the same time, having different apps for all of the different content really presents its own challenges. Like, there's so much exciting content around there. There, There's physics and and all these interactive things that you can do with kind of star maps. And that could be a really interesting standalone app. But then, if a student says, okay, I'm into this. Like, I, I've gotten this far in physics, but I've realized that what I'm really missing is exponents, and I don't understand those. At that point, do we kick the student back to, you know, Flagship Khan Academy? Or do we have a separate math app that they then need to go and get? Right. It's a super complicated question that we haven't figured out how to solve yet.
0: It is kind of a tricky one, huh? Because you've kind of, you want a consistent look and feel and mm-hmm. not to bump people around, but you also want some freedom for different content creators to, to kind of stylize things different ways.
2: Exactly. Uh, and the other case that I'm thinking a lot about is there are some people who maybe use the, take a more casual approach to the content. Like, oh, I'm, I'm really interested in history. And I, I think I'm just going to watch these videos for my own learning just because it's something that I find fascinating. And those people may go through the content more linearly and get, maybe they would watch every video that we've got on dinosaurs. And then other users Will come to, or I guess learners, I should say, will come to us because there's a specific thing that they're hoping to learn. Like I know someone recently who was going on um, job interviews and realized that they really needed to relearn linear algebra and matrices, and just jumped into Khan Academy to brush up on those things, and then was done. And there's a really different way, I think, that you should treat learners where some people will say like oh i just started doing linear algebra and we'll say keep going you can do it you can learn all these things like don't don't stop studying linear algebra and kind of encouraging them to to keep going more and more with the content but for a learner who really just wants to go in and say yep yeah, i've i've learned this one thing i'm done i'm ready to move on us kind of chasing them and saying hey remember this linear algebra thing why didn't you finish would i think that would be pretty frustrating to them So it's uh, another challenging problem dealing with these really different use cases of people trying to learn things.
1: How many downloads has the app seen?
2: I just looked this up the other day. I think we're at about four and a half million.
1: Wow. Does it change the way you approach the app at all or did you always just do things a specific way and assume that it would work out at scale?
2: Actually, in a surprising way, the app is a really tiny percent of the traffic to Khan Academy as a, a content provider, it's in some ways, almost still a beta platform, because most of the innovation right now, most of the ways that you can really sink your teeth into our content are on the desktop web app. So in that context, I, I feel like the app downloads and the app usage uh, is, is pretty small.
1: We're kind of at the limit for our time, so we should probably get to the picks. Is there anything else that we should know about Khan
0: Academy or about the app? I want to hear about some exciting new feature that's coming up that you can tease us with. Uh,
2: <laughs> well, I think the most exciting new feature is going to be this ability to actually practice math problems from within the app. That's been something that users have been requesting from the beginning, and we thought was just too hard to do. And that's something we've been working really hard on. It's actually going out to beta users almost as we speak. And that's going to be really exciting. But honestly, the thing that I'm most excited about was after starting to work with Andy, was talking with him about, you know, yeah, we have this big, ambitious, difficult project we're doing of getting exercises from the website into the app, and we're going to ship this to users. And his response was, you know, th- this is great and important, but we get to think bigger than that. We have a chance with these devices that people carry around with them like in their pockets every day. We have a chance to make some really rich interactive learning in a way that is more difficult when you have a keyboard and a mouse and we honestly don't even know what that's going to look like. We're just starting to play around with prototypes and, and saying, you know, what can we do things different with getting people to really grok derivatives uh, or, or different kinds of skills. And I am just so excited to see where that goes. And in terms of not right right now, I think the way learning in the app will work is that you will watch a video and then practice the skills that you learned, but I'm excited to see us flip that so that you will learn a skill by practicing it and will lead you through that. And I wish I knew what that was actually going to look like, but I am so excited to see it.
3: And yeah, definitely, I think that's a great idea. Looking forward to see how you handle that challenge because it just sort of turns that basic uh, learning model on its ear. And I think a lot of people would benefit from it.
2: Absolutely. I mean, and that's what the really fantastic teachers are doing already, right? And taking inspiration from that so that all kids can feel like they've got a personal tutor is something that we're really excited about making happen.
4: I've been a sort of fan and follower of of Andy since before he was at Apple. He wrote Sparkle, which is a Mm. Mac software update framework that I've used for a long time. Anyway, I'm really excited to see what you guys do with so many smart people there. It seems like Khan Academy wouldn't be bringing smart people in if they didn't have some big plans. And it'll be interesting to follow what you guys do. I'll be looking at your stuff closely.
1: (laughs) I'm really glad to hear it. So didn't John Resig work there?
2: Uh Yeah, actually, he, he still does. Uh, he is working on the, the CS curriculum, which if you haven't looked at, you really should. It's, again, only on desktop web, but it's JavaScript-based and is so approachable because basically, like, on the left, it's one of these side-by-side coding environments, so the left side will have some code, and the right side has the output of the code, but it's really visual. And so the left side, for example, might have existing code that draws... A face, you know, a circle, two dots, and a semicircle. And the challenge that we'll give to students is, you know, please make this a crazy face. Make the eyes different sizes, and give it a really big mouth. And all the students need to do is go in and change a couple, change a couple variable values, uh, and then they can see the face change on the other side. And to an eight-year-old who's playing with this, it's it's completely hilarious. Uh, and it makes programming seem a lot more accessible to them. And then, you know, there's software detecting what the student has typed. So we'll say, you know, congratulations, you made the eyes different sizes or what have you. Uh, and, you know, now let's make the eyes the same size, but let's do it using a variable. And then again, our kind of our grading software will notice when the student has used a variable to do this or not and leads them up through programming in a way that i think is more similar to how a lot of us got into coding which is having an existing program and wanting to tweak some values so that it does something slightly different rather than kind of being presented with a blank screen and saying you know you can code whatever you want it's a much more step-by-step bit
1: i think i need to get john Resig onto one of my other shows Talk about
2: He's this. a fantastic person. Actually, um, Pamela Fox is also working on the CS curriculum, and she's fantastic. Fantastic speaker. You guys
0: cool. have got an all-star team over there.
1: I'll, I'll, I'll uh, hit you <laughs> up afterward and see if we can get sure. some folks on some shows. But yeah, that's really cool. That's exciting.
2: Yeah, and I think if I, I don't want to take up too much time, but actually the. One of the more exciting things that we've done past couple days has been this new campaign, which is the You Can Learn Anything campaign. And we're basically trying to convince people that intelligence is not something that's, that's fixed at birth. That if mm-hmm. you, if you try, you can get better at a thing. So more than trying to tell people like, Hey, you should learn math or you should learn this specific thing. The thing that we're really trying to change people's minds about is whether or not they can learn something new so and that so there's more content on the site about kind of the science and research behind your brain growing the more you use it a pretty exciting new thing too
1: yeah i like the inspirational aspect i do have to say that people really should learn math though (laughs) (laughs) all right let's let's go ahead and get into the picks alondo do you want to start us off with the picks
3: Sure. Uh I think my first pick is right in line with learning. I mean, I would really uh, i have been uh, reading some new books and I wanted to recommend one that has kind of personal importance to me right now. And it's called The Human Brain, a guided tour from Susan Greenfield. And it's sort of taking you through the basic understanding of, of the, the characteristics of the brain and, and brain function and things like that. So it's really eye opener for me. So that's the, the, the first pick. Uh, the next three picks are all related and you'll, understand the connection. Just charities that I think are really important and I wanted to sort of give them a little bit of pub. I know that there's a the ice challenge going around, but um, this one's a little more personal to me. So, uh, the first one is the American Brain Tumor Association and along with the National Brain Tumor Society and the American Cancer Society. So, so just three charities that are of great importance and I just, you know, good great if people could learn more about brain tumors and brain cancer and uh, support them. So, those are my picks. Thanks.
1: Awesome. Andrew, what are your picks?
4: Uh, I've got two picks today and they're a little bit unconventional. So my first one is American Express. It's a little bit of a weird pick, but I've been on a trip for two months and unfortunately a bag full of stuff that I had was stolen and American Express has this purchase protection thing and so I, I was actually able to get money back from them for stuff that was stolen and I, the reason I'm picking them is because unlike a lot of big companies like that, I have had 100% positive experience with them, with their customer service, with calling them, so it was really actually quite surprising and pleasantly so. And My second pick is taking a vacation, so this is... Certainly the longest trip I've ever gone on, but, but it was also a little unique in that I didn't do any work while I was gone. I didn't even really think about work, and I think it really was good for me to get away from programming and thinking about technical things and solving problems and just learn new things and meet new people and have new experiences, and I think it's given me a fresh perspective, so it's important to remember to, to do that every so often. Those are my picks.
0: Cool. Pete, what are your picks? Spookily, I was going to pick taking vacations as well. Uh, I just got back from a 10-day vacation, not quite as awesome as Andrew's vacation. And that was nice to not have a computer, so I would pick that. I'm going to pick a place I went on my vacation. I went to Mount San Joaquinto, which is just above Palm Springs in California. And in Palm Springs, it was 110 degrees and like 95 degrees at night. And I wanted to go backpacking with my wife and we took this trolley car up 9,000 vertical feet to the top of this mountain or near the top of this mountain and we had an awesome two days of backpacking in like 70 degree weather with like light rain every couple of minutes or every couple of hours for a few minutes and it was just super perfect awesome backpacking trip with amazing views so if you're in southern california and you want to do something in the middle of the summer that doesn't involve 110 degrees then mount san Makinto is your place I also went to San Diego, and for those of you who don't know, San Diego has amazing beer, so I'm going to pick San Diego and the beer that is in it. And specifically, Carl Strauss Red Trolley Ale is my beer pick this week. Carl Strauss is like one of the oldest San Diego breweries, actually, and Red Trolley is very, very good red ale, so if you can get hold of that, you should, you should try that. And just for fun computer pick, I'm going to pick a Tumblr called Terrible Swift Ideas. It's pretty hilarious. I'm enjoying a lot seeing all of the stupid things that people can, can do with this new toy that they've been given. So check that out if you want to giggle.
1: Very nice. I'm going to go ahead, and I don't know if I picked this or not, but the Apple Swift book is actually good. It's not the best programming book I've ever had, but it, you know, it does get you through how to put stuff together and things like that. So I'll give it a pick. And I also... If you've listened to the last for the last while, you know that I'm a big fan of Audible. And I've been listening to several books on Audible, so I'm gonna pick a couple of those. One of them is called Virtual Freedom by Chris Ducker. So if you're busy, lots of stuff going on, it walks you through how to hire virtual assistants and freelancers to help you, you know, get your work done. So definitely a fan of that. And the other book that I read. Is by Elizabeth Smart, and it's called My Story. Elizabeth Smart was kidnapped from uh, Salt Lake City several years ago. She was 14 years old um, by a crazy guy who made her his second wife and all of this stuff. But it was really interesting to to read about and you know kind of get an idea of what she went through. And so yeah, it, you know if you, if you want an interesting true story, then you know then go check it out. I do want to warn you though that. uh it doesn't get into, like, graphic detail of what what this guy put her through, but at the same time, you know, there, there are elements to this that, you know, if you're sensitive to them, then you may want to pass on the book. And yeah, that's it. So, uh, Laura, what are your picks?
2: So, the first one, I actually just got into conference speaking a few months ago and uh, hadn't done anything since high school, kind of days of PowerPoint, and I used deck set app to put my presentation together uh, and I really loved it because it was uh, I could write in markdown which made it a lot easier to me to use with version control because when I was making making a presentation putting it under version control just seemed to make a lot of sense uh, and then it came out looking really sharp and I was really happy with it and then I've got uh, a couple books <laughs> um creativity inc is has been recommended to me by so many people and it's by, I may pronounce his last name wrong, Ed Catmull from Pixar. And it's basically how to scale a creative company without kind of becoming one of these corporate giants that feels a bit soul-sucking and, and keeping company culture like alive and strong and productive. And then the last is a different Swift book. I actually... Started working through Swift with Daniel Steinberg's uh, Swift Kickstart, and it's it's just a really basic introduction. And the thing that I love about it is the tone is so conversational and so approachable that even if you're feeling intimidated by this new language, he really makes it sound like this is a thing that you can learn. At the end of one of the chapters, it even says like, you know, that was great. That was a lot of work, though. You should probably take a little rest now. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it's it's amazing. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I know that all the Swift authors out there have been doing Swift for like 12 years, so. Clearly. <laughs> yeah, but that sounds good. Definitely put a link in the chat. We'll get it in the show notes. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening and we'll catch you all next week. Working to learn from designers at Amazon and Quora, developers at SoundCloud and Heroku, and entrepreneurs like Patrick Ambron from Brand Yourself. You can level up your design, dev, and promotion skills at Level Up Con, taking place October 8th and 9th in downtown Saratoga Springs, New York. Only two hours by train from New York City, this is the perfect place to enjoy early fall at Oktoberfest while you mingle with industry pioneers in a resort town in upstate New York. Get your ticket today at levelupcon.com. Space is extremely limited for this premium conference experience. Don't delay. Check out levelupcon.com now. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. Mad Glory would you like to join a conversation with the iFreaks and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at iFreakshow.com
0: slash forum.